Well, good morning, everybody. It's so nice to see all of you this fine morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, open to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. If you have a pew Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you. They're black. We have the same exact pew Bibles at our church, and it is page 615 in the black pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I hope you'll turn there and that you'll take out something to uh, write some notes down on, and uh, you'll study the Word together with us. As Pastor Matt said, my name is Greg Baker. I'm the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Eden, Utah. Um, How many of you know or might know where Snow Basin Ski Resort is, or Powder Mountain Ski Resort. That's my valley. Uh, We're up in that mountain valley up there. And uh, I've been there, I've been pastoring there now for 10 years. And um, I actually proposed this pulpit swap to, do you guys call him Pastor Brooks or Pastor Danny? Pastor Danny. I proposed this to him a while back uh, for two reasons. Um, uh, Number one, I wanted to, I wanted my people to get to know your pastor. I I knew of your pastor when I was back in Greenville, South Carolina during seminary, and one of my regrets was that I didn't get to know him better, and then I found out he was moving here and was very excited. We struck up a friendship, and I was like, you know, I really want my people to get to know you a little bit better, but if he comes and preaches in my pulpit, then he's got a fine pulpit fill and all this other stuff, and, and the other thing, too, is I, I wanted to see how you guys are doing church. That's so helpful for a pastor to see how other good ministries are, are setting up their services, their buildings, all these other things. The, the problem is we're always in our own churches preaching, so we don't get to see other ideas. And so I said, you know, maybe your people would or wouldn't want to hear me, but I know my people would want to hear you, and I want to see how you do it. You think you'd be up for this? And I don't remember how long ago it was we talked about this, six or eight months ago. So he gave me an assignment, and I gave him an assignment. And so he's preaching to my people on a particular topic this morning, and I'm preaching to you on Isaiah 55 to wrap up uh, the series that you guys have been going through. So that's a little bit about why I'm here and why Pastor Danny is there this morning. Well, I had you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55. It's page 615 in your pew Bibles. Let's read the entire chapter. This is the word of God God says to us, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what's good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. A leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the end of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he 
will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Empower us to know your mind and your heart for the lost. Help us to join you in extending this great invitation to the valley around us. And may we do it, Lord, from your perspective. May we do it as you've commanded us. May we listen and hear and incline our ears to you. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you were, you guys ever go to Walmart and see those, you know, like coaching basketball for dummies or auto mechanics for dummies? My life has been finding God's will for dummies, okay? Um, God has only ever offered me one open door at a time. So I've never had a plethora of open doors to choose from. It's just one choice. Well, about 10 years ago, I was given one choice. It was come pastor a church in Utah or be out of a job back where I was previously living. And so I thought, hmm, sounds like God's will to me to go to Utah. (laughs) Well, when I got here, I knew that Utah was a needy place. I knew that. I didn't realize how needy this state was, however, until I got here. Do you guys realize that the evangelical Christian population in Utah is less than 2%? Less than 2%. Let's put that in a little bit of context. Let's imagine that you and your wife are born-again Christians, and you are invited to a party with 100 people, and you walk in. You need to understand that every person in that room is bound for a Christless eternity other than you and your wife. That's staggering, isn't it? You know, in Utah, we lead the nation in all sorts of things you don't want to lead the nation in. We lead the nation in eating disorders. We lead the nation, per capita, of course, in Ponzi schemes. We lead the nation in teen suicide rate. Elective surgery. We lead the nation in, get this, orthodontists per capita. Isn't that a weird thing? In my valley, we have one grocery store, two gas stations, and one bar, and four orthodontists. (laughs) 
It's true. We lead the nation in cases of depression per capita. With such little hope in our state, how are we going to begin claiming this ground for Christ? How are we going to do that? Where do you even begin? How will the gospel begin to get a foothold here in Salt Lake County or up in my valley? How will God begin to advance his kingdom forward? Well, we come to Isaiah 55 this morning, and we see that God is giving us the way in which believers need to rally. If you want to win Salt Lake City for Christ, if you want to win South Jordan and Riverton for Christ, if I want to win the Ogden Valley for Christ, where do we even begin? God gives us instruction right here. Here is where we begin. Here is where the marching orders begin. I want us to first get ourselves some context. Isaiah's ministry spanned over 40 years. He was a long-standing prophet. He did a lot of prediction, a lot of foretelling, but he also did a lot of forthtelling. And Isaiah's life and ministry were so long, they spanned a huge uh, variety of Israel's history. His first few years were spent under the king Uzziah in prosperity and security. uh, Uzziah had the largest standing army of any king in that region. The nation was prosperous, but they grew to rely too much on that material prosperity. And in time, the nation dwindled into poverty and desperation. Isaiah's life, according to Jewish tradition, ended at the hands of wicked King Manasseh, who, according to Jewish tradition, sawed Isaiah in two. Well, what of this book, Isaiah? There are three distinct sections of this book of Isaiah. There are 66 chapters, of course. There are three very carefully planned sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 35, and there God is telling Israel that judgment is coming. You've been turning your back on me, he says in Isaiah chapter 2. I hate your feast offerings, God says. They're done outwardly only. There's no heart in it. God says for this, and other sins, judgment is coming. And it looks like this nation, Assyria, is going to overthrow them. But then in chapters 36 through 39, we see that it's not going to be Assyria. And then in chapters 40 through 66, God says, you know what, this judgment is coming. It's going to come through a nation called Babylon. But then God turns his attention and begins to comfort his people. Comfort, oh, comfort my people. So, just let's get a little overview of Isaiah in our heads here. The first 35 chapters, our judgment is coming. Those middle few chapters is a transition from judgment to comfort. Even though judgment is coming, I will comfort you. Even though judgment is coming, I will still be there to draw you to myself. Then we come 
in that last section. So we're here in this section. Everybody got this? Of comfort. We come to chapters 53, 54, and 55. All of you know Isaiah chapter 53. This is where God says that he will pay for our sins. Okay? God says, I am going to judge you, but I will also forgive you. How is it that I can forgive you? I'm going to take all of your sins and lay them on my suffering servant. Isaiah 54, after I lay, after I pay for your sins and I lay them on, your suffering, on my suffering servant, I will reverse your fortunes. You will have prosperity. You will have comfort. You will see the message of redemption run worldwide. And then we come to Isaiah 55, which is where we are today. And here is where God says, I'm inviting you to join me in this. Okay, Isaiah 53, I'm going to pay for your sins by putting them all on my suffering servant. Isaiah 54, the suffering servant will win worldwide. Isaiah 55, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that worldwide mission? Here's how you do it. it, Do we all have our context now? Okay, now let's move forward to our points. That was all sort of introductory, and we will pick up our pace. We've got four points. If you want to write them down ahead of time, God's call, God's command, God's covenant, and God's comfort. Call, command, covenant, and comfort. Do you want to be on board with God's worldwide mission of redemption? Well, first of all, God calls us to this in Isaiah 55, verse 1. He says right here in our first word, come, or actually, this is a bit deceiving. Some of you have a different translation that says, listen up. It's the Hebrew word. You guys ready to learn a Hebrew word this morning? It's hoy, okay? Like chips ahoy, okay? So let's all practice that. Ready? Hoy. Oh, that was weak. We got to try that again. All right, I'm on three. Ready? One, two, three. Hoy. That means like, listen up. The idea is the football coach comes into the locker room at halftime. The team's down by 10. The players are milling about, and he says, listen up. Or the soldiers are in the barracks attending to their things, and the officer comes in, and he says, attention, and everybody snaps to attention. That's God. He says, attention, listen up, everybody listen up. And then he's going to give us three commands to come. It's threefold repetition. Now, in Hebrew, there are no, there are no um, exclamation marks. They can't bold or highlight or underline. So the way that they add emphasis is to repeat it. And in Hebrew, when you have three repeats, that's a big one. That's three exclamation marks at the end of the command, okay? Come, come, come. And it's the same Hebrew word every time. Come, come to the waters, come and buy and eat, come and buy wine and milk. This word buy is a specific word. It's the word for buying bread. It doesn't mean just buy, it means go buy sustenance, what you need for the day. Think of it as like going down to Smith's Marketplace. Come and fill your cart with everything you need to feast on. Come, don't be miserly. Take 
all you need. Come and buy. Now, he's going to tell us that we should buy even though we have no money. What's he getting at? He's getting at ownership. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you go down to, oh, what's my favorite store? You know, I live, I live up in sort of a rural area, so I like the IFA, the Farmer's Supply Store. I never thought I would, I'm a city boy, I never thought I would like that, but, you know, lo and behold, I do. Okay, so let's say I go into the Farmer's Supply Store and I buy these wonderful Kinko gloves for the cold that lies ahead. And I go to the cash register and she says, you know what? Today, it's on the house. The gloves are yours. I say, wow, thank you. I take my gloves and I start to leave the store and the little attendant who, sign, who you know, slashes the receipts says, wait a minute, those aren't yours. So I go back to the register and she prints out a receipt that says zero dollars, but they're yours. And now I've got my receipt, I've bought them, but they're mine. That's what Isaiah is getting at. You can't buy it with money. Your money's no good here. I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to own it. Come and fill yourself with all the food that you want, all the drink that you want. He says, come if you're thirsty. You might want to write down a cross-reference here, 2 Samuel 17, 29, for where David is on the run from Absalom. He's about to be overthrown, and these three fellows show up, and it goes to show The the passage goes on to say all the things that they brought them, beans and lentils and bread and cheese and wine and milk, everything they would need for the army. That's the idea. Come, fill yourself with all that you might need. And then he says, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Hebrew, the words wine and milk are actually the last words of the sentence. Come and buy everything without price. Wine and milk. Wine is a symbol of joy and prosperity. It takes years for vineyards to start producing wine. It was a sign of stability. Milk was a means of sustenance. Joy and nourishment. Come, take all you want. It's yours Come and get it. God is throwing open the door and giving this huge invitation. God is inviting all of us to come to him and find redemption. And then he gives us a command. In verse 2, I want you to notice that God's command is rooted in his reason. That word why sort of has the idea of to what end. God's going to reason with him here. To what end are you spending your money for that which is not bread? Or your labor for that which does not satisfy? This word, spend money, actually has the idea of going down to the market and pouring out your silver coins onto a scale. Or a bag of silver dust and you go to the merchant and you're going to get this or that or the other and you pour out your silver onto the scale and that's how you get your goods it's a very direct 
money loss thing. My youngest boy, Schaefer, he wanted to buy a remote control car recently. We told him he could afford it. He is a bit of a money hoarder. He had his piggy bank chock full of $1 bills. So we said, well, Schaefer, you can have your, your toy car, but you're going to have to shell out this much money. And it was like the boy was losing parts of his soul to count out every dollar bill. <laughs> okay, there's a big stack of them on our bed. That's the idea. Just taking what's yours and pouring it out. Why, why are you doing that? And then, again, in Hebrew, the word is a little bit more direct. Why do you pour out your silver for not bread? Why do you pour out your labor for not plenty? It's actually, there is no that which in Hebrew. Imagine going down to Walmart and seeing a sack, and on the sack is printed, does not satisfy. And you're like, I'll have two of those. And you throw them into your cart. And you go down and you pour, you, you reach into your pocket and you take out your silver and you pour it onto the scales and you walk out with two does not satisfies and three not plenties. Okay? God says, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? Why are you giving away your silver, pouring out your hard-earned money for things that you know that are advertised will not satisfy to what end, to what purpose are you doing that? God says, if you're going to take part in my command to come, if you're going to come and feast, if you're going to have all my delights, if you want everything I have to offer, here is where that begins. Let's think about this for just one second. If I were to say, you can have all the delights of God's kingdom. You can have them all. They're yours. Come and take them. Your first question might be, okay, how do I take them? How do I pick them up and put them in my cart? How do I make them mine? Where do I start? God says, listen, listen to me. That's where you start. Do you want all that I have for you? That begins by listening. He uses a specific construction here. It's literally listening. Cause yourselves to listen. I like the old KJV translation. Hearken diligently unto me. There's an idea of removing every distraction. I'm a fan of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Sometimes I wish I was not. Yesterday was just a case in point, but it was third down, and my wife went to ask me a question. She looked at me in my transfixed state, then she looked at the TV and saw that it was third down, and I heard her say, I'll ask later, okay? She knew there's no point in asking that. This is what God is talking about, this sort of focus. When we come to, do, do you want all of God's Supplies. Do you want all of God's dainties is the word here? Do you want all that God has for you? Listening, cause yourselves to listen. 
Listen diligently. Hearken diligently. Start on purpose listening. Notice where we feast. Verse 3 confirms it. He says, he says right here in verse 2, he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. That's the word, um, eat what is good and then delight yourselves in rich food. That's the word dainty. It's like a delicacy. Do you want God's delicacies? Then start listening. Start listening. And when he says delight yourselves, that could be translated delight your soul. We see in the next verse that your soul may live. God is talking here not about your material prosperity. He's talking about the health and richness and fatness of your soul. Your soul that will live somewhere forever. Your soul which will have no end. Your soul, which we're told in the, New, in the New Testament, has such supreme value that if you were to somehow gain everything in all the whole world, it doesn't even compare to the value of your soul. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? You are so valuable. And God is talking about this immaterial, eternal part of you. Do you want all that's best for your soul forever? Do you want to delight, not just grudge by and get along? Do you want to feast on amazing fare? Ruth Chris Steakhouse for the soul. Forget chicken soup. Sorry, if you like chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> I had pneumonia a couple years ago, and my church people were so nice. They brought me endless amounts of chicken soup, and now I can't even smell it. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> so forgive me if you love chicken soup. Today's a good chicken soup day if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> Do you want delights, meat, sustenance, joy, rejoicing for your soul? Listen diligently. God then says he's going to give us a covenant if we will but stretch out our ears. This is our third point, God's covenant. He says incline, that is stretch out your ear. I think of those old western movies of the tracker putting his ear to the ground, listening for the horses, listening inclining. I had a perfect picture of this recently. At our church, we have what we, it's, a, it's an evening, we call it the Father-Son Nerf War, okay? We turn the entire church into Nerf Armageddon, okay? Um, every dad brings the Nerf gun with the darts, you know what I'm talking about? We, we only require that you have goggles, because we don't want to put anybody's eye out, moms, okay? And now, once the kids get a little older, they realize the darts aren't going to hurt them, and they run off and, you know, do their own thing. But when the boys are like five or six, and both of my boys did this, 
When the boys are like five or six, this is very scary because grown men are coming through that door in 20 seconds with a gun, okay? Even though it's a Nerf gun and they're worried. And they are, they are right here on my hip. Now, at that moment, obedience isn't even a question. If dad says load your gun like this, they're loading their gun like that. If dad says lay down here and get cover, they're laying down next to dad to get cover. They're a little bit scared. Grown men are running around shooting at them. <laughs> it's true. It's good fun, okay? <laughs> and whatever dad says do, they, they are studying dad, okay? All the boys do this. This is what God has in mind here. Like, we need to be so inclined with our ears and attuned to his ways that obedience isn't even a question. What you say do, you do, I will do. I am right here listening, watching, paying attention. God says, incline your ear to me and I will respond. When my people, when my people come to me and listen and engage and incline their ears, God begins to move. I began our sermon with this question. How do we begin taking the Salt Lake Valley? How do we begin taking the Ogden Valley for Christ? Here's the answer. It involves every one of God's people stretching out their ear to listen first. Not talking. Listening. If God were to come down to Gospel Hope Church right now and say, are you ready to take the Salt Lake Valley? I want you to picture all of Gospel Hope Church stretching out their ear like this. That's the picture. That's the picture of where gospel triumph begins. Incline your ear to me and I will respond, God says. Incline your ear to me and your soul will live. Your soul will live. And I will make for you an everlasting covenant. God says that I want you to look at these verses here. Look who the actor is. God gives you soul freedom. God makes a covenant. God made David a witness and a leader. You shall call a nation that you don't know because God has glorified. We incline our ears. We tilt our ears toward God, and then God starts moving. He cuts, he promises, he initiates, he affects, he glorifies. God does all of these things when his people stop and start listening attentively with all of their focus directed right on the Lord God himself. That's when God gets on the move. God is the one who does all of these things. And God says right here that he patterns his covenant after David's. Do you guys remember? David said, God, I want to make a house for you. 
Nathan said, oh, that's fantastic, David. Do all that's in your heart. And then Nathan came back to him and said, actually, David, you're not the man. You're not going to make a house for God. I'm sorry to say. God is going to make a house for you. And you will never lack a son to sit on the throne. And that chief son of his was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the son of David. God made him that promise before David ever saw Bathsheba on a roof. God made that promise to David before he foolishly numbered the people. Did God keep his covenant to David? Absolutely. That's what God is telling us. Incline your ear. Listen. Put your attention directly on me. And then I will begin to move and act and affect. I will, I will make a covenant with you much like the one I made with David. I will do this. I will glorify you. I will glorify myself through this message. And even when you fall, even when you're faithless, I will remain faithful. I will see my covenant through to the end. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God would do all of these things? Well, that brings us through verse 5, and then in verses 6 through 12, God begins to give comfort. Before we move on into verse 6, let's just recapture where we're at in the text, okay? God says, do you want to take part in my worldwide kingdom advance? Listen. Listen diligently. Come, take all you want from me. Take it, it's yours, it's free. You can't buy, you can't buy it. And when you listen, when you hearken to me, when you focus yourself on me, I will begin to move. I will begin to act. I will glorify myself. And you say, okay, God, that's what I want. So when you start paying attention to God, when you start listening to God, what are the things you'll begin to hear? What, 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 are the, what are the first messages God is going to give you when you start listening? God says, seek while the, seek me, forsake your sin, return to me. When you begin focusing on me, this is what you're going to hear. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord that me, he may have compassion on him. You say, well, wait a minute. Why, why does listening have to involve repentance and forsaking? Why does that have to be there? I want you to imagine for a moment, this is my wife over here, her name is Danielle, okay? I want you to go back many moons ago to our wedding day, okay? We're standing there at the altar, and the officiant says to me, forsaking all others, do you take I don't remember what comes next. Do you take this woman to be your wife? And I say, forsaking all others. I look around and yell to the maid of honor, and I say, 
does that include her? Do you think Danielle's going to stay at the altar very long? (laughs) No, no. You see, what she would be saying in that moment is, have me as wife or don't have me at all. You can't share me. And that's what God is saying. If you're going to listen to me, and if you're going to have me as God, you must have me as God. You can't share me, you can't split me, you can't divide me. If you will have me exclusively, I will be your God. Seek me while I may be found. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Return to me in this relationship where I'm God. And when you do, and when you do, you have nothing, nothing to fear. I want you to imagine that you were friends with a great man, a great man, wealthy man, powerful man, And he said something to you one night that offended you. And so since it's my story, you're about to do something random. You find his car and you slash his tires. He's a great, powerful man. And then you think, oh no, what have I done? How could I ever go face that great, powerful man? He He will take all of his fury and pour it upon me. God is so great and so powerful. He says to his people, look, you have sinned greatly against me, the great and powerful, the most great, most powerful being. Naturally, you'll be afraid to come to me because you'll realize how big I am and how much fury I could pour on you. But I don't want you to worry about that. Though you have forsaken, though you have gone after, Isaiah is going to say, idols that can't help you at all. Return to me, for I will abundantly pardon you. The word, the verb here can literally be translated, I will cause my pardon to be multiplied unto you. I will cause greatness upon my pardon. I'm going to make my pardon run and romp and roll, and it will cover everything. And there might be some of you, I don't know which one of you are regulars here at Gospel Hope, and I don't know which one of you are visitors. I'm sure some of you visitors, or even some of you regulars, might be tempted to think that's, that's just too good to be true. How is it possible that all you have to do is come back, and God says he'll cover it? That he'll pardon it. You don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know all the terrible things I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, but I know how big God's pardon is. And he says it's abundant. And he says he will forgive. It doesn't matter what you've done. He will forgive. He will pardon. He will let it go. God says, yes, it is too good to be true. Verse 9 but you need to return anyway for, or you might want to write in your translations, because my pardon is so far beyond your comprehension. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Return, because my word is far beyond your ability to comprehend it. Return, because my word will draw you. Verses 12 and 13. Go down to verse 13. Return, because when I transform, it really will be that good. He says right here, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Just a quick little bit of information about that word briar and myrtle. A briar is a thorn, uh, as my 10-year-old would call it, a pokey thing. It gets stuck on your clothes. It's annoying. If you've ever been skiing in the backcountry and you ski through a briar patch, you don't go back that way again. Well, God says instead of that, it's going to grow up the myrtle. Myrtles are native to the Middle East. When we bring over crepe myrtles, it's actually from there that we got them. And in ancient times, they would take the berries of the myrtle tree or the myrtle bush, depending on how big it was. They would condense those down. It has the same properties that aspirin has in it. Thus, in the ancient world, the myrtle became synonymous with healing, medicine. God says, your way brings up thorns and briars. My way is that of healing. Folks, God says that when his people listen and hearken diligently, They will hear, seek, return, come, find. And when my people do that, God says, I will move, I will act, I will glorify. Instead of pain in the Salt Lake Valley, there will be healing. Instead of pain, there will be healing. Can you imagine what that might look like here? instead of leading the nation in teen suicide rate. We might lead the nation someday in something else. One only knows what. Now, I want to prove something to you. You can raise your hands. I'll ask you a question. If I were to come here today and say, evangelism, taking the world with the gospel, how many of you would have, what's step one if I said that? What is step one? How many of you would have written down something other than listen? Most of us. Can I prove it to you? Can I prove to you that step one is listening? I tell my people this all the time, okay? Um, It's kind of dopey, but I want you to do it with me anyway. I say, how do we walk with God? You've got to put your hands in the air. We say, we walk with, and then everybody says, our fingers. And you have to wiggle or it doesn't work, okay? (laughs) So I say, how do we walk with God? We walk with... Excellent. It's good, isn't it? All right, take your fingers, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to go through this very quickly. I want to prove to you that step one of evangelism, step one of seeing the kingdom advance wherever it needs to advance, is listening. Step one is listening. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Saul is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest to seek these people. Jesus knocks him off of his donkey with light from heaven in verse 4, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul ended up losing his sight. Look at verse 9. And for three days he was without sight. He couldn't see. Let's go down to chapter 9, verse 10. God says to a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. Ananias says, I've heard about this guy. He's bad news. God says, I called him and I've already told him all the things he must suffer. How many people were listening? Two people. Only took two. Two people listening. And the apostle to the Gentiles was called. Now let's take our fingers and go to chapter 10, verse 4. There's a Gentile. So we've got the apostle to the Gentiles called through listening, right? Now we need some Gentiles. How are we going to get the Gentiles? Acts chapter 10, verse 4. Cornelius is praying. Cornelius, he says, God says to Cornelius, verse 4, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Cornelius is a Gentile praying. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 13. Go down. God says to Peter, and a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken at once into heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to the vision that he had seen, what it might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called to Peter there. Cornelius is listening. Peter is listening. And now let's go down to 1033, and this will be the last point. Peter goes to Cornelius. Peter says to him, you know it's not lawful for me to enter a Gentile's house. But God talked to me, and I listened. And I'm here. And Cornelius says in verse 33, so I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we, he had his whole family there, we are all here in the presence of God to what? To hear. We are here to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter began preaching. Go down to verse 44. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who did what? Who heard the word. 
From there, the gospel explodes. You know that? From there, the gospel explodes. Where did it begin? What part of our body? The ear. There were probably less than a dozen people in the book of Acts listening. And look what God did. What if these hundred or so folks started listening? You want to take Salt Lake for Christ? Incline your ears. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear. May we start inclining our ears to you so that we might be so attentive to what you have to say. Focus our minds on you. Thank you for the good attention from your people today. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.